Hello there friends, this is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about Mercury's travels through Gemini. So I hope you're all doing well out there, uh, that you've been enjoying Taurus season and we're beginning the transition into Gemini season. Uh, I took a little bit of a break over the last week uh, to re recharge the battery a little bit, um, but we're back and we're talking about Hermes and his exploits over the next two months. Uh, so we're going to have a retrograde with this Mercury cycle. Um, so we're going to explore that a little bit, but we've, we're looking at a time frame between May the 3rd and July the 11th. I will try to go over all of the decanic meanings of Gemini. We will explore some of the uh, specific transits that the winged messenger is making. And we will talk about um, kind of the differences between Gemini and Virgo and Mercury's different types of uh, agendas in those signs. And then we will do an I Ching reading to, to tie all the things together. So let's dive in. I hope you're all doing well. Um, like I said, I took a little break over the last week. I was just needing some recovery time and was feeling a little bit burnt out and that the, the well was dry. So I needed to refill the well a little bit, but um, things are going okay. Things are, there are, you know, coming together, I think, on some level. I hope that that's happening for you. Let me know in the comment section how, how you've been doing in this Taurus season and um, what your hopes are for, for Gemini season here. And um, yeah, I'm happy to begin the conversation once again with all of you. I always enjoy talking to all of you, so let me know how things are going in your world. So what we're looking at here is uh, the, the chart for the ingress of Mercury into Gemini. And um, I wanted to kind of break down a little bit some of the Gemini significations first and talk about some of the, the things that we're going to be experiencing here because it's there's a lot going on. Um, I like doing Mercury videos as kind of standalone videos that aren't necessarily just... Um, you know, split into decans because Mercury moves really fast. And um, we're going to be, you know, experiencing a lot of different things here. But especially we're, we're looking at Mercury uh, just made its evening rise. So the evening rise is basically when Mercury moves out of a 15 degree arc from the sun. It's part of its synodic cycle. That's a really important word to learn if you're just excuse me, beginning your journey with uh, astrology, um, a planet has a relationship with the sun and it is able to make a lot of different um, omens or significations based on its relationship to the sun. So very recently, Mercury has been under the beams or invisible, and it is emerging from under the beams and becoming visible again. There were a few different things that authors thought of as Mercury doing when it was under the beams. One was its journey as a psychopomp, um, which was guiding souls to the dead. It was like a herald or a guide for newly deceased souls to, to uh, enter the underworld. Um, and then there was also some authors or astrologers that were talking about Mercury going back and forth between Olympus and the, the the upper realms of the gods and then returning to the earth with some kind of divine decree or something of that nature. 
um, I tend to think that we have two two separate uh, Kazemis, right? We have we have two separate. Not I tend to think, but uh, there are two separate conjunctions. We're going to be experiencing the retrograde inferior conjunction of Mercury over this cycle in Gemini. Um, but I like to think of the the retrograde station and when it it goes under the beams again as the psychopomp journey as moving into the underworld so that's part of what we're going to be experiencing over this journey with mercury and gemini i think that the uh, superior conjunction when mercury is direct i tend to think of that um, after a really good conversation with my friend gary caton who's kind of the expert on all things mercury um that the superior conjunction may be uh, Mercury visiting Olympus and maybe bringing back a message from from the land of the gods or the, the the divine realms rather than the underworld. So a little bit of a different vibe, but we have like the evening rise that we just experienced with the Mercury becoming visible. So I want you to look back at the, the second or third of May. And if there was something that was revealed to you, uh, it, it, pay attention because that was an important revelation that we may be dealing with uh, as far as this cycle is concerned. We will have Mercury stationing retrograde on the 29th of May um, at 24 degrees of Gemini. It will then make its Kazemi, its conjunction with the sun, being renewed in the heart of the sun in the underworld in that psychopomp journey again at 20 degrees of Gemini, and that will happen on the 10th of June. Mercury will then station direct at 16 degrees of Gemini on June the 22nd, shortly after the summer solstice. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind. The Kazemi is happening on the same day as the new moon solar eclipse, so a giant chapter marker is happening at the same time Mercury is being infused with new information, a new seed of the mercurial cycle. Um, so it'll be a, a big day. That that June 10th day is, is going to be a really important time frame for what we're going to be experiencing. We're going to have a full moon lunar eclipse on the 26th of May before that. Um, and that is, again, we'll have the sun in Gemini, but the moon will be in Sagittarius. So really, this is a, Mercury is going to be taken center stage i think during this during these next you know few weeks and months ahead um mercury's in really a, a positive condition in the beginning of gemini here in the beginning of the cycle it is visible it is the evening star it is in its own domicile it is it's in its masculine domicile uh the mutable air sign of gemini it has triplicity dignity uh in the nighttime so it rules the air signs as the nighttime ruler of the air signs. Uh, triplicity dignity was sort of like um, being amongst uh, your guild or, or amongst uh, supportive friends, like you have community support. Remember, we've been talking about the, being a domicile lord as being kind of the, the butler of a certain sign. Um, interestingly enough, Mercury is sort of its... It has both domicile and exaltation rulership of Virgo. So it, it will technically be, well, okay, let me back up for a second. It is the domicile lord of Gemini, and Gemini does not have an exaltation lord. 
um, I guess we could think of it as a very pure Mercury expression, uh, a very um, active Mercury, a very like visible, uh, optimistic Mercury, maybe more so than in Virgo. And uh, again, I'll break down the differences between Virgo and Gemini specifically as we go along here. Um, it will also be in its own terms from zero to six degrees. So, you know, from this time frame, the, the very the first week of Mercury and Gemini, Mercury is going to be very, very strong. Um, it will go through a, a different series of terms, starts off in Mercury's bound, then it moves into Jupiter's bound, and then into Venus's bound. And then in the final degrees, we, we have malefic bound lords, Mars and Saturn. So when we talk about this, the, the individual decans, we'll kind of look at the bound lords as well. Um, face rulers, we start off with a journey where Jupiter is the first face ruler, and we are exploding into choices. Um, we will move into a Mars-ruled decan in the second decan, and then end up in a Sun-ruled decan, now, I, I will also add that we have these kind of dual rulers when we talk about Deccan rulers. We have the triplicity system and the descending Chaldean system. So we have a Jupiter-Mercury Deccan in, in Gemini 1, a Mars-Venus Deccan in Gemini 2, and a Sun-Saturn Deccan in Gemini 3. So if you notice, we all of the Deccanic rulers are sort of opposite energies. And this is one of the things that we're really trying to reconcile in the sign of Gemini in particular is, is an awareness of opposites and of duality itself. So we've got a, a number of things that we can talk about with that. And I'm just going to stop my screen for a second because I wanted to show you a few tarot cards and go over some of this with you. So one of the things that we're looking at with the tarot is we have Mercury itself having some associations or some syncretizations with the Magician card in the Major Arcana. Here we see a figure who has his hand pointed to the, to the sky, as above, and then one hand pointed below, so below, as above, so below. He has all of the four elements in front of him, the cups, the, of the water of the cups, the the swords of air, the pentacles of earth, and the, and the wands of fire. So he's able to command all of these different elements to be able to create some kind of achemical mixture here on earth. So um, there is skill associated with the magician card, and Mercury was very skilled. Little Hermes was a very prodigious youth. He, uh, you know, from the time he was a baby, he started causing trouble. And he was playing music, he was making instruments, he was stealing cattle, um, he was making deals, he was making bargains. Uh, so he had a lot of things that he was trying to figure out from a very young age. And and Mercury is, is similar. So I'll read you a story of, of, of little baby Hermes from Robert Graves' Greek myths in a minute here. But we also have the tarot card, The Lovers, associated with the sign of Gemini. And the lovers is really about a choice that has to be made. And this is one of the main themes of Gemini is we are exploring and proliferating options so that we can um, kind of examine a, a myriad of possibilities. 
And that's going to give us the information that we need eventually to pare it back down and to give birth to something, to, to nurture one of those choices into a fully formed being, right? This is what happens in cancer. We're nurturing something and bringing it into, into the world, right? Um, there is some stories with Gemini and some associations with it being the 12th house in the metaphorical or philosophical natal chart of the world called the Thema Mundi. And the, the 12th house was a time before birth. They thought of it as the sign that was on the ascendant previously before the ascendant. So think about Gemini as the time where you are pregnant with possibilities. There's cells that are splitting within the womb that are creating uh, this being that will eventually be born. It, it Also, 12th house was associated with some labor pain. So there could be some frustration about choosing the life that we want to pursue. Now, there's a story uh, regarding the myth of Ur, where souls had to choose lots before they incarnated into a body. Uh, and you can only you can imagine you, you're being offered all these choices, and you know that there's going to be uh, both pleasure and pain associated with those lives, and you can imagine some of the the challenges and the back and forth, the wanting to to weigh the advantages of of everything, and maybe some difficulty in making that choice, some paralysis perhaps, uh, some sleepless nights trying to figure out which direction would be the most fruitful or would that you're going to be stuck with for an entire human life. But eventually a choice has to be made so that you can incarnate into that body. And that's really the journey of Gemini, right? We can see that played out in the three decanic cards. We start out with the first decan with uh, a figure that is bound, okay? Th this card was called Interference in the Book of Toth. Um, the Lord of Interference. And Austin Coppett calls it the Apple of Eden, where, you know, you bite into the apple and you have this uh, explosion of awareness of, of duality, of male and female, of birth and death, of light and dark. You know, it, it is separating things that were once in unity, okay, well, that were once whole. And... Um, this is a kind of thing where we may feel, you know, like we want to, to, to have movement in a certain direction, but it's like when we're presented with all these different choices, it may lead us to feeling like we're bound by the necessity to make a choice. So there's some exploration with this second, but also some frustration because now there's all these possibilities and we have to say, oh, what is this all about, right? And Mercury in this in this sign, in this decan in particular, is really, um, really proliferating those options and, and uh, asking us to be flexible. There's a flexibility quality with, with Mercury here. After we move forward, we are, you know, <laughs> we may feel paralyzed by the choice and we explore a little bit, but then we, we move to this card, which is called Cruelty, Lord of Cruelty. Austin Coppett calls it the hermaphrodite. It is the Mars-Venus decan after we had the Jupiter-Mercury decan where we had an explosion of new options of destabilizing something. 
Okay, remember Mercury was like that cosmic lawyer who was questioning things. He's exploring and questioning. But in this case, it can be with a, a, a the optimism of an air sign. I think that there is a some medieval uh, temperament questions when we talk about a hot and and wet sign of a sang sanguine nature. Okay, this like speeding things up, but uh, trying to maybe potentially through through an optimistic um, expansion. Uh, remember, air is kind of is a, also a destabilizing element, right? It's scattering things. I think there's a scattering element in Gemini that we have to think about as well. And when when we get to this second decan, this nine of swords, the hermaphrodite, we're really trying to balance dualities. We're trying to to live with um, this this moral choice almost as well. There is a a uh, an ambiguous morality in Gemini where we are trying on different belief systems. We're trying on different personas. We're trying on different masks. We're exploring different pathways. And there is, um, we may be forced with a moral choice in this period of time as well. The fixed star Aldebaran is in this decan. And one of the, it is one of the royal fixed stars of Persia. And one of the downfalls of Aldebaran is it offers power, but only if you maintain your integrity. So I think that there is there may be some chances where we are offered kind of this deal with the devil on some level in this decan where you could have it the way that you want it in this certain way, but at what cost? Is it at the cost of your integrity? Is it at the cost of your moral center? And that could cause some sleepless nights. Sometimes we don't know. Uh, it's not always clear what the right answer is, quote unquote. Um, there are shades of gray in this that we that could keep us up at night. So I think that Mercury moving through this decan could could show us some of those moral ambiguities, where you know sometimes the choice has benefits in some area of our life, but detracts from other areas of our life, and that that can really put us in a bind, um, you know, because we might benefit from something that takes away from someone else. I mean, there's always there's always uh, consequences to choices and to an action. So eventually we get to the third decan, and this is called Ruin, um, Lord of Ruin. Uh, Austin Coppa calls it the executioner's sword. Okay, So here a choice has been made. Something has been sacrificed. In the myth of Gemini and the twins of the Discori, we have Castor and Pollux, the one mortal and one immortal, and Castor, the mortal twin, is slain, and um, Pollux it couldn't live without his brother, so he gives up some of his immortality uh, so that he can be together with his sibling, even if it's only half the time. They kind of switch between Olympus and the underworld. So something has to be sacrificed so that something else can live. And we see this with the summer solstice. Gemini is an aspirational sign. The, the sun is um, climbing in declination. It's climbing in its height in the sky. And once it reaches the end of Gemini, it switches direction. So this could be part of maybe the fickle nature of Gemini as well. We're aspiring towards something. We're exploring. We're propagating. But once we reach that, we say, okay, something has to go. And, and this can really shock some people around us if they, they want us to fit into a certain box. I don't think it, that it's Gemini is just inherently um, 
fickle in the way that it, it just doesn't follow through with things. I think that there's, um, what I've noticed is, and I have Venus in Gemini and my mom's a Gemini and I've, I've had a lot of experience with this, is that it is an exploration and then hopefully an integration, right? You're trying to integrate some of that knowledge and then you are getting rid of some of those things eventually, or you have to. And some people live perpetually in that kind of puer kind of energy, puer being like the, the eternal youth of Gemini. That's only if you get stuck in that transitionary phase. If you want to become the cynics, if you want to become the wise old man or woman or sage, you eventually have to make a choice, and that choice takes maturity. And this being a solar slash Saturnian decan, you're going to have to, you know, make a choice. Your awareness will help you to eliminate Saturn, some of the options, so that whatever you put your energy into is going to be able to, to live to the greatest of its potential, rather than this half-life, right? Rather than this uh, surface type of thing. A lot of people accuse Gemini of being like surface or um, superficial, but I think that some of that is by design because we're testing things, we're tasting, we're exploring the senses, we're exploring the mind, we're exploring the possibilities. And it, it isn't necessarily about going in depth yet. It's about uh, you know, getting just a tiny little taste of it and deciding if it tastes good and if you want to eat the whole meal or if you want to say, no, I don't like that. Nope, that's going back. You can have, that's a meal for someone else, okay? So I think that one of the ways really just to, to, to navigate these time periods is understanding the temporal nature of it, um, to understand that it's an exploration phase, to understand that it's not necessarily something where we're going to build um, stability upon, okay? We're not, we're not laying the, the, the cement foundation for the house right now. We're kind of looking around at the listings, we are, we're on Zillow right now, you know, going through and saying, oh, that could be fun. Oh, look at that. That has a three bedrooms or, oh, look at the yard in that place, right? And you haven't made an offer yet. You haven't said, this is it. You're saying, you're imagining the possibilities of living in that space potentially. And um, it's, it's not like you even are, uh, have gone through and visited it yet. Like you may as a part of it, but it's, it's, I think it's about dreaming a little bit. Okay, so we're proliferating options. We're exploring imagined pathways. Um, we're destabilizing through splitting off in potential different directions. Okay, that's that's the part of the destabilizing. And I say that word because that's a word Schmidt uses. Robert Schmidt likes to use for Mercury, destabilization. It's like nothing is set in stone. It's we've we're coming off of and reacting to the solidified, stable, fixed energy of Taurus. And now we're, we're, we're kind of like, you know, we, we really consolidated it into something solid. And now it's like, ooh, there's the bees are pollinating this and this and this and this flower, right? So that something else can be born. I like that image for Gemini, bees pollinating flowers and visiting all sorts of little different things. They're collecting a little pollen from here, a little pollen from there. And eventually they're going to fertilize something that's going to be born. Not every, not every flower is going to be fertilized by that bee. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so eventually a choice needs to be made to, to sustain the energy. 
If we compare this with Mercury and Virgo's energy, Mercury is always going to be examining and exploring things. But in Virgo, the word that's been coming up for me a lot in my research and just in meditation on the difference between these two signs is Mercury is exploring to be able to uh, digest things with also with a, a sense of disgust. Gemini is more about, I think, possibilities and excitement about those possibilities. Mercury is saying, here's all the options that we have. Here's all of the manifestations that have happened over the summer season in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, which one of these has borne value, fruit? Which of this harvest are we going to preserve for the winter? And there's some anxiety with that because the anxiety is feeling the impending winter, feeling an impending scarcity. And you know that you need to, to understand that what you store for the winter needs to be of good quality. If you're storing something rotten, it's not going to sustain you through the wintertime. So I really think that Virgo is, is examining things in very fine detail to figure out the, the value of things, right? We think about Mercury as a planet of commerce. Um, the anxiety that people might feel in Gemini is which, which path do we want to bring to fruition? Which, which seeds do we want to plant, right? Which things are we going to nurture over time? So I, I think that there could be anxiety inherent in each of those, like the, because of the choices that need to be made. But again, it is still about choices. It's, a, it's the choices of what we're going to pursue versus what we're going to discard. Um, flaws versus possibilities, right? Optimism of air and idealism versus the realism and practicality of earth. Now, what are we going to be experiencing over this course of time? Now, one little thing I want to do before we move on to that, I want to read you an excerpt from Robert Graves' book, The Greek Myths. I got turned on to this by Liz Green in her book, The Astrology of Fate. And, um, I really enjoy this book, and I, I wanted to read you some things because I think it really is going to tell us about the nature of Hermes and the nature of, and, and then inherently what it's going to be providing through Gemini and, and maybe even Virgo to a certain degree. So this is page 63, Hermes' Nature and Deeds. It says, when Hermes was born on Mount Selene, Silene, Silene, C-Y-L-L-E-N-E, his mother Maya the night, okay, so the darkness, the ambiguity of night, right, uh, laid him in swaddling bands on a winnowing fan, but he grew with astonishing quickness into a little boy, and as soon as her back was turned, slipped off and went looking for adventure, arrived at Pyrea, where Apollo was tending a fine herd of cows, he decided to steal them, but fearing to be betrayed by their tracks, he quickly made a number of shoes from the bark of a fallen oak and tied them with plaited grass to the feet of the cows, which he then drove off by night along the road. Apollo discovered the loss, but Hermes' trick deceived him, and though he went as far as Pylos in his westward search, and to Anchestus in his eastern, he was forced in the end to offer a reward for the apprehension of the thief. Selenius and his satyrs, greedy of reward, spread out in different directions to track him down, but for a long while without success. At last, as a party passed them through Arcadia, they heard the muffled sound of music, such as they had never heard before, and the nymph Selene, Selene, 
Silene. <laughs> Man, I always want know how to pronounce these words. Silene, from a mouth of a cave, told them that a most gifted child had be had recently been born there, to whom she was acting as a nurse. He had constructed an ingenious musical toy from the shell of a tortoise and some cow gut, with which he had lulled his mother to sleep. And from whom did he get the cow gut? asked the alert satyrs, noticing two hides stretched outside the cave. Do you charge the poor child with theft? Harsh words were exchanged. At that moment, Apollo came up, having discovered the thief's identity by observing the suspicious behavior of a long-winged bird. Entering the cave, he awakened Maya and, her and told her severely that Hermes must restore the stolen cows. Maya pointed to the child, still wrapped in his swaddling bands and feigning sleep. What an absurd charge, she cried. But Apollo, having already recognized the hides, he picked up Hermes and carried him to Olympus, and there formally accused him of theft, offering the hides as evidence. Zeus, Zeus loath to believe his own newborn son was a thief, encouraged him to plead not guilty, but Apollo was not to be put off, and Hermes at last weakened and confessed. Very well, he said, come with me, and you may have your herd. I slaughtered only two, and I cut, up, I cut them up into twelve equal portions as a sacrifice to the twelve gods. Twelve gods, asked Apollo, where is the twelfth? Your servant, sir, replied Hermes modestly. I ate no more than my share, though I was very hungry and duly burned the rest. Now this was the first flesh sacrifice ever made. The two gods returned from Mount Selene, and where Hermes greeted his mother and retrieved something that he had hidden underneath a sheepskin. What have you there? asked Apollo. In answer, Hermes showed his newly invented tortoiseshell lyre and played such a ravishing tune on it with a plectrum that he also invented, at the same time singing the praise of Apollo's nobility, intelligence, and generosity, and he was forgiven at once. He led the surprised and delighted Apollo to Pylos, playing along the way. And there gave him the, rem the remainder of the cattle which he had hidden in a cave. A bargain, cried Apollo. You keep the cows, and I take the lyre. Agreed, said Hermes, and they shook hands on it. So there's an example of, a, of this commerce, this exchange that we associate with Mercury, right? We have, you know, it, was, it rules these, you know, going between worlds, uh, exchange between people, communication, thought processes, all of those things. It says, while hungry cows were grazing, Hermes cut reeds, made them into a shepherd's pipe, and played another tune. Apollo, again delighted, cried, a bargain. If you give me that pipe, I will give you this golden staff with which I herd my cattle. In future, you shall be the god of all herdsmen and shepherds. So here's part of where we're getting our, our shepherd of souls to the underworld. My pipe is worth more than your staff. So this is a contesting type of thing, right? Um, replied Hermes, but I will make the exchange if you teach me augury too, because it seems to be a most useful art. Now, augury was being able to tell the future by looking at the patterns of birds and animals. So there is some significations with Mercury being a lord of astrology and of divination itself. So this could be where we are thinking about that ability to see the future through part of this story as well. I cannot do that, said Apollo, but if you go to my old nurses, the, the Thray, th-r-a-e, th 
who live on Parnassus, they will teach you how to divine from pebbles. They shook again hands, and Apollo, taking the child back to Olympus, told Zeus all that had happened. Zeus warned Hermes that henceforth he must respect the rights of properties and refrain from telling downright lies. But he could not help be amused. You seem to be a very ingenuous, eloquent, and persuasive godling, he said. Take me, uh, then make me your herald, father, Hermes answered. Okay, communication. And I will be responsible for the safety of all divine properties. I will never tell lies, though I cannot promise to always tell the whole truth. So maybe a lie of omission. This is something that Geminis have been accused of, is they will tell you a piece of something, but not necessarily all of it. That would not be expected of you, said Zeus with a smile, but your duties will include, this is important, the making of treaties, the promotion of commerce, and the maintenance of free rights of way for travelers on any road in the world. When Hermes agreed to these conditions, Zeus gave him a herald's staff with white ribbons, which everyone was ordered to respect, a round hat against the rain, and winged golden saddles which carried him about with the swiftness of wind. He was at once welcomed into the Olympian family, whom he taught the art of making fire by the rapid twirling of the fire stick. Um, then they go on to say that he learned the art of divination from these uh, Thray. Um, he could foretell the future from the dance of pebbles in a basin of water. He invented both the game of knuckle bones and the art of divining by them. It says that Hades engaged him as a herald to summon the dying gently and eloquently by laying the golden staff upon their eyes. Okay, he then is, he, I mean, he does all this stuff. Remember, we looked at, at, at uh, the magician card. This is about skill. He, he is a, a versatile, versatile god. It says that he then assisted the three fates in the, in the composition of the alphabet, invented astronomy, uh, the musical scale, the arts of boxing and gymnastics, weights and measures, uh, and the cultivation of the olive tree. Um, so yeah, he, he, <laughs> precocious, right? Uh, flexible, skilled, being able to explore all these different pathways, very swift, able to change direction very quickly. All of these things we're going to be experiencing with Mercury and Gemini because Mercury is going to be in one of his purest forms. He doesn't have to answer to anybody beyond himself in, in this sign. So hopefully that will give you an understanding, a little bit of more depth, in-depth understanding of Mercury or Hermes in general and how that could play out during this transit. Now let's go back to our chart. And again, that was uh, The Greek Myths by Robert Graves. And we're going to look to start uh, at, at May the 3rd. This is um, the first decan. Remember, this was associated with the Eight of Swords, so we're spoiled for choice here, right? Maybe paralyzed by choice. Now, we don't have all of the planets moving into Gemini yet. We still have all this stuff in Taurus. The Sun, Venus, of course, Uranus is going to be there for a while. We've got Mars in, in Cancer still wreaking havoc on everybody's home life. And um, <laughs> I've heard so many stories with Mars and Cancer. Um, I, I had, uh, in addition to my mom falling ill and having some cha health challenges, she's doing a little bit better now. So um, that's good. But uh, I had somebody drive their car 
into my yard and run over uh, the bushes and completely mow down a fence. So you could see like Mars was penetrating our, our little crab shell home here, literally. I had another friend who was having the siding on her house uh, repaired by the, I don't know, the condominium associations. And they cut a hole into her, um, <laughs> they sliced a hole into her living room to the point where she could see sunlight coming in. She compared it to Wolverine claws coming into her uh, house. So you could see Mars penetrating into the, the Cancerian shell. And various other stories that have come up like this. But the point being is that Mercury is not going to be witnessing either one of these planets until we start to see the Sun and Venus shift into uh, Gemini. Now, Mercury is going to be witnessing both Saturn and Jupiter by a whole sign trine. So he is bringing us messages uh, and having conversations with Saturn about how to organize our lives based on the the blueprint the idealistic blueprint that that saturn may put into place i have some really interesting um thoughts on saturn lately and aquarius in general from reading this book a tiny universe um, by joy usher it was recommended to me by my new new astro friend uh shu yap and uh they they talk about saturn and aquarius as uh being having boundaries but bound those boundaries instead of being physical boundaries or physical walls like they would be in the earth sign of camper capricorn it is about controlling the narrative and controlling information and uh you know only giving you what is necessary to put forth a specific agenda i thought that was really fascinating because i've had heard a lot of people talk about well, this this kind of like, you know, difficulty with finding truth is from the North Node in Gemini. And I think that that is part of it. I think the North Node in Gemini is, is proliferating all of the different types of information that is coming to us. But I don't think that Mercury is necessarily judging that information. Mercury doesn't really make moral judgments. Remember, it's more it's a moral gray area. So there's going to be just, you know, a fire hose worth of information coming at us. But Saturn, on the other hand, Saturn is going to say, you can only see this part of the story because I want this to happen. Um, I, I, it's interesting that we see things like, you know, people being canceled, right? And not to say that there aren't circumstances where uh, judgment being made on people that are not following um social um, a good social moral foundation is not sometimes necessitated but i think that if we talk about quote unquote cancel culture it is definitely a function of saturn in aquarius not necessarily just the the north node in gemini i think it, it is saturn saying um this is a particular thing that i want an agenda that i want to put out and all of this needs to be rejected Remember, Saturn is a planet that rejects things. And this can happen on many levels. There is the, the type of canceling culture of things where we're trying to become more, uh, we're trying to become more liberal and we're trying to, to bring fairness and we're trying to respect different people and different people's way of living. And we, we are eliminating past transgressions that have 
made people feel less than. And we have the type of uh, canceling where we have a certain other faction of the, the collective right now that is only paying attention to certain like information streams that have become almost self-selecting through some of our social media algorithms, right? Like they think that this works with like people who are going on the conspiracy theory rabbit hole too. They're, they're eliminating things like uh, paying attention to quote unquote mainstream media and things like that and only choosing and picking and choosing sources to the, to the exclusion of these other things. And yes, some people will tell you, oh, I've done my homework and I've proliferated, I've looked at, examined all these things. But when you actually try to engage people like that in conversation, it's been my experience that there is one agenda and they will try to pick certain facts to be able to support that agenda and completely reject anything that would uh, challenge what they've decided is truth. And I just thought that was such a fascinating way of thinking about Saturn's role in Aquarius. And I mentioned that because we're going to be having Mercury, you know, activating Saturn and questioning some of these things because it's going to be making a trine with, with Saturn and maybe helping to facilitate some of these things too. We may see a proliferation of that type of energy as we move forward of like, you know, trying to weed through ideas. I, this, this book, A Tiny Universe, compared Saturn and Aquarius to a, a, sort, a, a sense of almost mind control by perpetuating a lie over and over and over again until it is hard to refute. Some people talk about the big lie versus the little lie. And sometimes when people tell you a big lie, there is this human need to, you know, sometimes we fudge little things and we can accept that, that people will be willing to do that. But one of the things that people are doing lately is that they're, they're, it, it's more difficult for someone to believe that someone would make a big lie about something. And then it, that makes it a little bit more insidious to try to root out truth from because we, we sometimes we give people the benefit of the doubt. And I've seen a lot of good people in my life uh, go down this path of really believing the big lie because they are people of integrity on some level too and can't possibly believe that someone would tell them that big of a lie. And I just I thought that was a really fascinating way of, of thinking about things. Um, so so yeah, I, I, that's something to to explore. Uh, I think with this air age that we've gone into at that Jupiter Saturn conjunction, it really is going to be about who is controlling the narrative and and how how do we find truth again. Um, and again, we've been really destabilized with truth with the the North Node in Gemini. Uh, I think that there is a lot of relative truths that have been going out, out and about, and it has become more difficult to find uh, the capital T truth, if, if that even exists. I guess that's a, that's a question, if that even really exists. A lot, a lot of truths are relative. Um, but, but I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting landscape and uh, something that is difficult to navigate sometimes because it, it is becoming more and more difficult to, to find out what is going on. Um, so that being said, we'll see 
<laughs> I'm not trying to stir the pot here, but I just thought that was a really fascinating way of thinking about Saturn and Aquarius and the difference between Saturn's ability to govern from that sign and its its agenda in Capricorn. Because that, that was always a little confusing to me. And I think it's confusing to um, some more people of who have started off with modern astrology and thinking about Uranus as a ruler of Aquarius and then trying to transition into thinking about it as a Saturnian sign. And um, that is really helping me to parse out some of that, some of that in general. So stay open, stay flexible. Uh, it's, you know, try not to eliminate things because it doesn't fit into your particular narrative. Um, I think that that's, that's a key. Uh, I've been trying to, to stay open to possibilities while also, you know, recognizing that just because it is an agreed upon, uh, consensus reality doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, I think that's another thing we've been getting with Saturn and Aquarius is that so people have been become so mistrustful of um, con the consensus, depending on where their political or moral uh, compass points towards, that it, it's like they want to be contrary just to be contrarian. And we, that's really dangerous. I think that can that can get us into a lot of trouble too. Um, again, I, I think that there are, there are definitely some relative truths. There are some situations like, I don't know, like I, I, I've been vaccinated. So that's, that's one of the things that's the big elephant in the room, right? With a lot of people is what is the truth of vaccines? And, and a lot of the people that are rejecting the vaccines. And again, I'm probably going to get some blowback on this from, from various factions, but, uh, a lot of them are people that were really, uh, coming from a natural, more natural healing type of uh, background, of which I had prescribed to for, for a very long time. I, I take a lot of supplements and I, I believe in the power of nature to heal. But I think that there are certain circumstances and this, this one in particular, where um, that wasn't necessarily the right answer for this, this problem. And, uh, you know, taking in all the, the information that I had, I did the best that I could with the the um, the knowledge and the wisdom that I had at that moment, and I think it was the I think it was the right choice. I think that uh, again, it, it's it's interesting though because you go from this like you know exploration of natural methods, and then you have to conform to a uh, a more consensus reality, right? More more like uh, pharmaceutical type of thing, and it's uncomfortable. But again, the circumstances were extraordinary. It wasn't just a normal like, oh, I have some sinus issue or something like that. No, it was a, it was a deadly disease that uh, was killing people. And I don't know. I, I, I'll stop there. But I, I just think it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a fascinating exploration with the combination of Mercury and Saturn and how those two planets are interacting with one another through the nodes and through Saturn's long journey through Aquarius and how uh, one truth uh, does not always have to be, uh, we don't have to apply one method to every single problem. Okay. That's that. I think that's really the gift of Mercury is saying that just because that was part of your capital T truth belief system for one part of your life, it doesn't mean that you can't change your mind and be flexible if, if circumstance and experience is showing you that 
that might not be the right solution for this particular problem. So that's where, that's where I've got with that. Uh, when we're moving through the first decade of Gemini, we are going to see, we're not going to see any exact aspects with this, um, but we will see a couple fixed star conjunctions at zero degrees. We have Mercury hanging out with Alcyon, uh, which was a fixed star in the Pleiades, which is associated with vision. So this might be where we're thinking about uh, using our intuition and our inner vision to, to solve a problem. Uh, it will conjoin Mirfak uh, on the 4th through the 5th of May, which was a fixed star in Perseus uh, associated with assertiveness. Maybe we're asserting our opinions or our uh, explorations become a little bit more far-reaching or gregarious. Uh, I think one of the things to think about is we are going to be having Mercury squaring Neptune uh, three times over the course of this Gemini-Mercury transit. So that is probably the, the, the one that sticks out to me, um, but we'll get to that. So again, there is our conjunction with Mirfak here on the 5th. And if we move forward, we're going to see Mercury head into uh, the second decan around May 10th. Venus has joined with Mercury around this period of time. And on May 10th, Mercury is going to be doing two things that have astrological significance. So it'll be joining the North Node uh, at 10 degrees of Gemini, and it'll be conjoining the fixed star Aldebaran, which is the eye of the bull in Taurus. So the North Node will increase things. It is sort of like a, a channel, uh, or I guess a portal. I, I hate that word because it's overused and abused in spiritual circles. But in, in this case, I think it's, it's apropos. It is a gateway for things to come into form. So, so I think we're going to be increasing our, our ability to question and our flexibility with this. Now, with Mercury on Aldebaran, there may be questions of integrity that come up. Aldebaran is, is really about, you know, staying true to that integrity that, or suffering a consequence. So I think it's going to be very, very important to not compromise your integrity uh, when it comes to this Mercury on the North Node. You may be offered something where you can fudge something or you can cheat a little bit. And I'm, I guess I'm here to tell you there will be consequences for that uh, because of that contact with Aldebaran. And they're not good. They're like fall from grace types of things. You remember this nightmare card that we we're looking at the the nine of swords this is this is a card where you know you see a figure with its his head in his hands and he's he's going through an ordeal this could be the result of not staying true to your uh you know true to yourself and true to your beliefs and true to trying to do the right thing okay whatever you think that that is um and I th again it's okay to question your beliefs as well Sometimes we get really fixated on the wrong thing, and we have to have the humility to be able to admit a mistake. And I think that's part of integrity as well. Integrity is not, let me dig my heels in and stubbornly pursue a false belief. Integrity is saying, you know what? Maybe I don't know, and maybe I was wrong, and maybe I need more guidance to make the right choice. So I think that's part of the way to, to, I think, handle that transit on the 10th. Now, as we move forward to the 12th of May, we are going to see 
Mercury make that trine. It's going to perfect that trine to Saturn. So this is uh, all the things that we have been talking about with Saturn and in Aquarius and and kind of the destabilization of Mercury and Gemini are going to be kind of coming to a head at that point. But they're they're working together. This could be where we're having some some sober thinking, exploring some long term options. Uh, Saturn's in the Deccan associated with the Six of Swords, where we see two figures in a boat trying to cross a river and trying to cross over to a new experience. So you may be exploring the options that you have for moving on from something from the past and embracing something in the future. So I think that that's, that's going to be the, the, the 12th of May here. As the other thing that's happening around the 11th and the 12th is we have a new moon in Taurus. So this is happening concurrently with the, the Mercury trine Saturn. Uh, and it's the new moon in the third decan of, of Taurus. So that'll be about um, tending to your garden to weed out and prevent decay from things that would threaten what you've the seeds that you've planted, whether it be pestilence or whether it is, you know, making amends for any rash actions you might have taken. Remember that decan was associated with the Litai, who were the um, the old women that followed behind eight, which was called ruin from rash actions, and they were uh, offering repentance through prayer. So this may be a time where we're really having to atone for something in the past uh, and maybe questioning some of our past actions with that Mercury-Saturn trine, okay? On the 15th, we are going to see Mercury conjoin the fixed star Rigel at about 16 to 17 degrees of Gemini, okay? And Rigel is an interesting fixed star. This was the, the uh, foot of Orion, the hunter, um, and he has his foot in the river, the Eurydonis, the river of knowledge. And it's the first step of kind of the raw instinctual hunter on becoming refined in that journey to, to find wisdom and humility of, of Hercules. It ends with Hercules, and Hercules was called the kneeling one. So he is kneeling in humility. So this is about really knowledge, uh, the search for knowledge, wanting to teach others on the path as well. Um, I've compared Rigel to drinking from the fire hose on some level. I have Venus on this uh, fixed star, and it's it's just you're just always overwhelmed with possibilities, but they are possibilities that could lead to wisdom eventually. So try not to get too overwhelmed by information around this period of time, and recognize this could be one of your first steps towards towards wisdom and towards humility um, from the, the the new information that comes to you around this period of time. All right. Now, if we move forward to the 18th, we will see Mercury going into the third decan of Gemini. And uh, this decan is interesting. This is this is the one where we are having to make a choice. Some of the daimons associated with these, I didn't talk about that in the beginning, but first decan was uh, Tethys, which is kind of a sea a sea goddess, an ocean goddess. Um, so there's there's this kind of the the proliferation and the abundance of the ocean, right? Second decan was was ruled by um, uh, Sibylle, which is the the hermaph hermaphroditic uh, goddess who had like was born with both 
sexes and had her phallus severed from her and it fell to the earth and from it grew an almond tree and uh, a youth ate, ate from that almond tree and i believe this was uh adonis i don't remember uh it was it, basically it was a a handsome youth where she was trying to find her other half right it was trying to to unify these opposites and the the gods were afraid of her power having both sexes so this is kind of the search for for the other half and the, this duality and feeling split in a lot of different directions with this second deck in the sway austin Coppett calls that deck in the hermaphrodite the third deck in though that we're exploring now here on the may the 18th we have the executioner's sword and this is ruled by the daimon uh, praxodike who is the exactor of justice praxis is action dike being justice so that this is where we're you know making having to make a choice having to to eliminate some of the options um, we're having to sever from di different possibilities so that we can give life to something else i've talked to a lot of clients about this position i have a lot of gemini and virgo clients i, I appeal to the to the, the mercurial sensibilities but I always talk about, uh, instead of thinking about eliminating something with Gemini, because Gemini is generally loath to give up possibilities. Remember, it's that kind of Peter Pan energy, that Pu'er energy. But you have to think about it as I'm choosing to give life to something uh, rather than I'm giving up something. If you think about it from that perspective, it makes the choice a lot easier. And it, it releases a lot of the anxiety, I think. Um, because you can get in this state of limbo where you're not really living uh, any of these options. You're not really giving energy to any of them by trying to keep all of them uh, alive, so to speak. So that's happening on the 18th. Um, this is where we start to experience our first square with Neptune. Now on the 21st and the 22nd, a couple things are happening. Venus is emerging as the evening star from under the beams. Remember, Mercury did this in the beginning of May, and now Venus is doing this at the end of May. And this is where Venus is becoming visible again. A lot of things that we've been working on behind the scenes are going to come to light, uh, especially in the Gemini area of our charts. Now, this could be confusing, though, because this could be proliferating more options. And since we have a square with Neptune, we may not necessarily be thinking clearly about all of them. Remember, Mercury is the clay that is going to be giving resources to Venus and the sun and all these planets now. Okay, so some of this confusion with this Mercury-Neptune uh, square could be making it difficult for us to actually make the choice and give life to something. Um, yeah, misunderstandings, uh, fuzzy details, over-idealization of different pathways, verbal manipulation potentially being misled. Um, really try to stay grounded. We're also seeing at this time frame, you know, Jupiter has moved into Pisces. So we may be feeling really idealistic about things. We may be really, you know, going off into our imaginations and, and we have to be careful of having blind faith in something, okay? So really carefully examine everything. You know, there, there, if you do make a choice during this period of time, chances are uh, you may have to redo it. 
because what we the other thing that we're going to be experiencing is mercury is about to turn retrograde around this period of time mercury is slowing way down and on the 29th of may mercury makes its retrograde station right here you can see at 24 degrees of gemini mercury is also going to be conjoining venus so whatever emerged from under the beams we're going to meet it head on with that conjunction with mercury and venus so whatever choice that we had difficulty making we get another chance to review what it is and what the advantages and the disadvantages are we get a chance to retrace our steps so my advice to you on this is try to be thorough the first time and there's going to be less knots that you're going to have to unravel the second time through um don't don't skirt any steps in the process use your patience uh phone a friend if you are too confused to deal with it, something objectively phone your most practical friend i don't know it doesn't have to be me but it could be me if you need to reach out for a reading to review something i tend to be pretty um pretty pretty earthy <laughs> so i'm going to tell you tell it to you how it is from my most objective perspective uh which is somewhat objective i guess it's it's more objective probably than than uh if you're dealing with it personally um and i strive for that in my readings but uh yeah this this is just something where you know take your time making the decision it doesn't have to be made all at once it may feel like it is but again gemini is that ex exploration phase and if you really do your homework well um you're going to make a better choice that you feel better about uh in the long term so that's the first you know uh kind of thing that we're looking at now this is where mercury is going to be switching directions as it is apt to do and it's going to be coming into what's called the uh this is the heliacal setting of mercury so right about let's see yeah we've got right around this period of time may 29th may 30th we're going to have mercury going under the beams again going into the underworld as a psychopomp at its heliacal setting so this is mercury taking to its sickbed taking the soul into the underworld trying to find uh you know eventually is going to be renewed in the furnace of in the heart of the sun so again whatever choice you were trying to make and whatever fuzzy details you were given just go internal trust your gut trust your intuition take your time with it and eventually it will unravel itself all right as we move forward on the fifth we have, we're going to have a second square between mercury and neptune okay so whatever you were struggling with on the 22nd is going to come back around from that retrograde type of thing this kind of divine course correction i would call it whenever a planet is going retrograde it is not under its own willpower it's under the willpower of the the prime mover the the, the solar direction rather than the lunar one and i like to think of these retrogrades as like okay just let go of the oars and, and go with the the flow of the current you know uh, the divine has a plan and it's probably better than yours so trust it's these are this is a time for faith and reviewing and and letting the process kind of play out all right so we go forward to june the 10th and we have a big day on june the 10th really big day 
So we have Mercury making its Kazemi with the sun, the renewal. We also have a new moon solar eclipse. All right. I neglected to mention that on the 26th, before, right before Mercury stations retrograde, we're going to have a full moon, uh, full moon lunar eclipse. Okay, so an ending that's going to be happening around that period of time on the 26th of May. A big a beginning of a change of chapter. And here we're going to be entering the new chapter. Um, we're going to have an, a, a, an eclipse in this this third decan of Gemini where we're going to be having to make a choice. It's time to time to choose, time to let something go. And you're probably going to get some messages as to what it is that really is is um, needs to be discarded so that you can proliferate uh, or bring to term and give birth to something uh, with whatever you're cho choosing. You know, you, you're, something has to be sacrificed at this point. And it may be painful, but again, think about it optimistically. The sacrifice is necessary so that you can give life to something else. Okay, that, that'll get you through this period of time, I think. All right. So, if we move forward, and we're almost done here, we get to June the 22nd, and Mercury will station direct at 16 degrees of Gemini, okay? It is stationing direct, and it is also making its heliacal rise, okay? So, we see that it's within 15 degrees of the sun here making its heliacal rise around the summer solstice, a, a, a period of, of renewal, a period of change, a, a period of you know giving birth to something, and Mercury makes its heliacal rising. Okay, it always, a heliacal rise always happens retrograde, as does a, a heliacal setting. We have an evening rise and an evening setting, or morning rise and an evening setting that when it's direct. Okay, so different terms for for a sonotic cycle here okay so solstice always a big big chapter marker in our lives and mercury is going to be making it doubly important because it's going to be making its appearance as the morning star in its in its heliacal rising so the last thing that we have the last little note thing of note is that that Mercury Neptune square will make one last pass around July the 6th the day before my birthday oh happy day not actually looking forward to this birthday <laughs> I'm moving from a fifth house perfection year to a sixth house one and I'm like oh, I don't I don't super dig that moving from Jupiter as a time Lord to Saturn retrograde Saturn so I'm sure that there will be <laughs> lots of choices to be made going forward but again for everyone we're going to be uh you know whatever was confusing whatever we reviewed uh, around the the 5th of june now maybe we have to deal with it once and for all on the 6th of july okay and then we're going to see mercury move into the uh sign of cancer so we're going to get rid of all these things here and we're going to see it move into cancer and that happens on the 11th of july now I, I neglected to mention that there's a whole like mess of fixed stars in the third decan of gemini 
going down the list 21 degrees bellatrix 22 capella 22 fact 22 el nath 23 el nilum 28 polaris 29 betelgeuse so again there's a lot of myth associated with that third decan too much to go over today uh, if you do want to get a breakdown of some of those particular fixed stars take a look at my mars in gemini gemini 3 video i go over a lot of the their significations in that video but um it'll be okay again a choice has to be made you know just because you choose something now doesn't mean that you can't later change your mind it's about being present with what your choice is and and being uh living in the moment right living in the the putting your full attention to something rather than scattering it in a million different directions. And I think that that's going to serve us really well throughout this period of time. All right, let's wrap a bow on it and do an I Ching reading so that we can get some, some guidance from another divinatory source that I like to use. So what we're looking at here is hexagram number 26 and it's moving to the hexagram number 56 so this is 26 called potential energy moving to number 56 which is called traveling so we have three changing lines a fairly volatile situation here potential energy other words for this this uh, hexagram great accumulation great amassing accumulation storing up preparation gathering knowledge okay that sounds very mercury and gemini doesn't it cultivating your abilities remember little hermes was uh, the precocious skilled youth improving yourself waiting for the right moment okay now we are gathering potential because there's probably we're probably not going to be able to move forward as quickly as we want to because of mercury's retrograde cycle there is a divine course correction that's happening there's more information that needs to happen remember when we think of mercury we think of a lawyer questioning someone on the witness stand well there's more testimony that needs to come out a, a, a witness needs to be recalled to the stand to give extra information that we may have missed the first time so that's part of what why we're having to to store information to prepare and not necessarily move forward too quickly line number one says there is danger it is beneficial to desist so there's obstacles in our path this might not be the right time to push forward you have to compose yourself so that you don't waste your resources of time energy money whatever it is and we have to wait for the right opportunity okay line number two says the cart is separated from the axle strap so this one talks about forces that are beyond your control that are holding you back sound like mercury retrograde does to me the axles have been removed from your cart is a blessing okay it's a blessing in disguise it's that divine course correction we were talking about it says self-restraint will help you to accumulate resources and info to move forward later so you will be able to move forward but maybe not during mercury and gemini this is a fact-finding mission this isn't remember we're, we're on zillow and we're looking through the listings maybe we visit a few houses 
but we're not necessarily putting an offer and committing and moving into the house yet. Maybe we have an inspection that's going on and it turns out that that house has a leaky foundation. Or like me, you try to buy a five acre farm and you get two weeks away from buying the farm and you find out that the water is polluted by a toxic waste Superfund site that is one mile up the road flowing into your well. True story. <laughs> like You have to back out of the deal. That's Mercury getting on back on the witness stand, telling you something important, giving you a divine course correction. So there's something like that that will be revealed, I think. It might not be that horrific, but I think the key is if you don't overly commit yourself, the backtracking isn't going to be as painful. Line number four says, a horn guard for the young bull, supreme good fortune. So a horn guard is like a headboard for a bull uh, that they put on the horns so that they can't harm others. All right. So this is like preventing future problems, uh, thinking ahead, curbing some of the negative tendencies that we may have so that, you know, something that is holding you back like that headboard eventually is going to aid in your growth and maturity and make you more docile and help you to, to be more beneficial for your, your milieu. So this time requires cultivating your character, fostering healthy habits and behaviors, sticking to your integrity, Aldebaran style, right? Being flexible enough to let go of false beliefs if you've been inundated with them. I know a lot of us out there have really fallen into the, these traps. It's embarrassing. A lot of people are doubling down on it. It's okay to admit that you made a mistake. I've, I actually have some really good friends right now that had been going down some of those paths and recently made a, a, a shift and were able to overcome some fears. And it was it took a lot of humility and courage to do that. And really, really proud of them for that effort. And it's okay if you've gone if you've been deceived because it's really easy to be deceived by a lot of these things recently. Um, it's okay to shift. It's okay to admit a mistake. Um, it's okay to trust science. <laughs> okay, it's uh, and it's okay to to change your mind on something. And uh, I think that that's going to be part of this. It's going to be part of of the of the journey we're going through. Now, fifty six is called the wanderer. It was also called traveling, unsettled, tentative, uncertain, in transition, exploring, trying new experiences. So all this potential energy is leading us to be these vulnerable travelers. This hexagram talks a lot about being kind of a stranger in a strange land, and we have to really respect the customs of who, where we are traveling because we are not in our home. We are in a, a strange place. So I think that this, when you're exploring, you, you are in a vulnerable state. It's, think of this as you're on vacation and you may be on vacation in a place where you don't speak the language. You don't really know anybody. You have to maintain your vigilance. You have to maybe find a good guide, right? To, you have to have a hospitable host to, to show you the ropes of, 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 and the rules of that particular place. So again, this may not be the time to commit to something. It's the time to find good helpers. It's a, a time to, to explore all of the possibilities and to try to not get blinded by illusion or delusion. And eventually you will be able to make a well-informed choice, whatever that is. Look at what happens when Mercury moves into Cancer. It trines Jupiter, okay? 
you may be able to, to whatever you're dealing with in your life you can create a positive resolution by having being the most informed as you possibly can be some there will be some faith involved but again trust what the divine is showing you trust what that course correction is showing you question things but also you know don't be afraid that to have a healthy balance between questioning everything and realizing that sometimes people do have your best interests in heart sometimes there is a the collective is not trying out to get you okay i think that's important this this experience that we've been through with saturn pluto and all of this and the social distancing and there's a lot of fear that has come up and it's really there's some trauma that we've experienced because we don't know who or what to trust and there will have to be some healing that will have to take place with that to reestablish social trust with one another and that'll take some time and everyone's going to have their own um time frame with that and try to respect people's time frame with that respect your own process with that and hopefully we'll be able to come together as a community if we can make choices where we where we support one another we'll be able to come together sooner than later all right my friends that's what i've got for you today uh tomorrow i'm getting my second shot so over the weekend we'll see how i feel i have fingers crossed uh again i'm doing that as a commitment to the greater good and um i you know I'm not going to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do, but I really do think it's important to do that. And I applaud the efforts of those of you who have gone out and done that. Um, we'll see. I got more videos hopefully coming soon. Uh, there's a new moon coming up uh, on the 11th. I hope to do a live stream from, for that. Uh, see how I'm feeling. Um, if you are enjoying these videos, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button if you want to get them in real time. I'm trying to do my best to be timely with all of them. Um, and, uh, if you need some help, reach out. If you need some advice, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and, and hold space for you. Really enjoy doing readings for folks and I enjoy the, the, the bond that we can, the, that we can establish as, uh, as a guide, as a translator. I really enjoy my role as a translator of these symbols for people. And my ultimate goal is to help people. So it is very much a conversation and holding space for one another. And a lot of times I learn as much from my clients as, I, as I'm trying to teach. So I, I really embrace that exchange. Um, leave me a comment. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know what comes up for you over this cycle. Let me know what questions you have. It's, it's a great time to ask questions. It's not the best time for declarative statements. It's, it's a time to be curious. So what are you curious about in your life and how can you get closer to that, that truth? And um, yeah, if you want to make a material donation to the work that I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. That is a great way to support the work that I do and buy me the gift of time to make these videos and to uh, keep the lights on here at, at Chateau Michaud. <laughs> so anyway, again, as always, be kind to one another. You know, even if you disagree, sometimes you can agree to disagree and um, be kind to yourself. Try not to beat yourself up over all this. It's okay to not know. It's okay to, to ask questions and to 
feel like a child again, right? To have that curiosity of a child doesn't mean that you're any less than if you uh, don't know something. And that's kind of how I approach my entire astrological studies is these are just beautiful questions. And I'm in the process of trying to get closer to an, the answer. I, I might not ever quite get there until the great beyond, but uh, together we can explore some pretty interesting territory. So that's what I've got for you today, folks. Uh, take care, and I'll see you the next time. Peace.